Look, it's time once again to get going with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome, I'm Dirk Christensen, and here is our preview, what we call the roundtable. We've had a, an interesting discussion so far here today. Good luck keeping this together right now. It's Welcome hot. back, Jason. Yay. It's good to be back. Jason Jorgensen, fresh back from Chicago, where he faced public humiliation again. <laughs> Only Omaha? at only at Omaha. That play, they I just must have that look going through security. That uh, I Suspicious. don't know. Suspicious. <laughs> I look dangerous. You know, man of intrigue. I, I yeah, don't know. That's it. That's <laughs> like, let's hey, we want to want to pat Jason down, <laughs> and it's every year. So. Is this why you're not allowed to go anywhere besides Chicago for Big Ten? I don't know. It just takes. Too I long mean, I think I look like a harmless individual, and I appreciate the efforts mm-hmm. of those guys. You know, keeping us all sure, safe, but. Sure. They don't have anything to worry from me. I don't know about that. Yeah. We'll, we'll let them know. <laughs> All I know is on my trip, I didn't figure I'd be asked, like, you want us to pat you down here or in the special room or whatever they <laughs> say. And I'm like, nah, here's fine. Out in full view of everyone. Dude, come with us here to the special room. <laughs> All right. Here comes uh, Jesse Harding with a few ag headlines for it. Here today. For the 1213, we're going to discuss dicamba complaints that are being sent in here in Nebraska and where that might possibly stand. Also, Nebraska cattlemen, they are on their annual road trip meeting across the state. We'll get an update on some of the things they're discussing there. For the 1219, Dewey Nelson is joined with Dean Hefto, Director of Water Street Solutions, discussing today's market activity and where things will be standing at that time. For the newsmaker, Susan Littlefield is with Congressman Adrian Smith, discussing the upcoming Farm Bill lessening sessions that he will be hosting here in a couple of weeks, also discussing health care and trade. And then for the 117, Bruce Gorders with Zippy Duval, president of American Farm Bureau, discussing the atmosphere in Washington and around the country when it comes to trade and some of the things that they are working on as well. All right. Thanks very much, Jesse. We'll look forward to all of that. Jason, as we say, is back. I think I've got it figured out. No one could look that all-American. Maybe that's They'd figure it. you're in disguise. I don't know. Then I had some uh, nice elderly gal come up to me in the airport. She goes, you look just like my son. <laughs> and then that started a five-minute conversation. And I said, well, lucky for him. <laughs> right. Well, it's great to have you back. What have you for us, sir? Hey, coming up in sports, we'll talk about the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame. They uh, announced the inductees for that. Of course, they will be inducted this September before one of the Huskers' home football games. Also, we'll talk... Big Ten football, we'll hear from Nebraska linebacker Chris Weber, what he thinks about Nebraska's new 3-4 scheme. And we'll hear from Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck. Every year you go to these Big Ten media days, especially with the new coaches, there's a new flavor of the year or the week. And right. P.J. Fleck, he, he was that this week in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. He has a rapid-fire delivery. You can't help but be fired up about go for football when you listen to him. <laughs> Let's listen for it. That's coming up for you as well. And here, sitting in the business chair, is Scott Foster. I just keep moving down one chair. Yeah. Eventually, I'll be doing farm here pretty soon. Utility so. infielder Utility. here at the midday program. Yeah, well, uh, well, U.S. stocks are on track to set some more records. Media companies and phone companies are on the rise. Verizon and Comcast both going up a little bit today. Twitter's down, though, so must not have been a Twitter storm last night. Otherwise, that would have <laughs> raised. But uh, we'll let, take a look at some of those big moves in uh, technology. Also, Jazzercise. Somebody embezzled a million dollars from them. <laughs> really? I didn't think there would be a million quite dollars. quite a workout. Yeah, I know. All right. That's all coming up for you today on Midday. Five. Five. 
Maybe we can auction off the winner. I, <laughs> I think you're an hour off there. <laughs> it's uh, 16 away from 12 noon, and we're taking a good, strong look ahead at what seems to be a pretty pleasant string of days with some pretty decent chances of at least a little precipitation. Yeah, getting to see some passing chances of rain probably not going to amount to a whole lot, but we could still see a few passing chances of showers and thunderstorms as we head towards the weekend through Wednesday. Mainly headed towards a dry pattern right now uh, for the next few days. We do have a few showers over the Nebraska Panhandle in the far northwest corner and also some departing rain off towards uh, that they did have a lot of rain over eastern Kansas. Uh, big story here, heavy rains across the Kansas City area, closed roads, and also led to numerous water rescues. Widespread flooding after about four to seven inches fell in just a few hours starting late yesterday in east-central Kansas and west-central Missouri, and a lot of that big mess was centered over Kansas City. They even had to close I-35 for a while this morning in uh, um, in Missouri. Otherwise, a fair amount of cloud cover across the area currently, but we will see some clearing skies today as we head into a multi-day reprieve from the summer heat and the oppressive humidity with daytime temperatures actually set to average slightly cooler than normal the next several days. Outside of a cloudy or rainy day, today actually our coolest since the first part of the month. High pressure pushing in from the north with some cooler and less humid air. Light east winds off that area of high pressure for tonight. And some clear skies will help to form some patchy fog on into tomorrow morning. Now, tomorrow into next week, the area just to the east of that high-pressure ridge that brought all the heat and humidity, that will keep our temperatures just below average for this time of year as we are going to be in a northwest flow on the downside of that area of high pressure. Most days will be dry, but a few thunderstorms will be possible as the number of weak disturbances drop southeast. Now, in our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas forecast to remain seasonal to cooler than normal. Those first nine days of August, the better chances of being cooler than normal, going to be in Kansas. And it seems like we always see this every time of year. Oh, um, real hot period in the late part of July, then it always kind of gradually cools down mm-hmm. into the month of August. Near normal to below normal rainfall, though, is in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas the first nine days of August and a higher likelihood of Nebraska being drier than normal. In the latest drought monitor that considers data through this last Tuesday and not the rains that fell that night, it's abnormally dry in much of south-central and southwest Nebraska and most of the panhandle. Moderate drought coverage increased and includes the panhandle along I-80, also west central, north central, and northeast Nebraska. There's even severe drought around Valentine and Ainsworth and the extreme northeast corner of Nebraska. In Kansas, abnormal dryness from Atwood to Oberlin and in the central to extreme southwest section of the state, there's moderate drought right now found around Smith Center, Mankato, Osborne, and Beloit on over to the Manhattan, Kansas area. And with these drought conditions, they continue to get worse in several states. Nearly 11% of the U.S. is in a moderate drought or worse. The most severe drought area in portions of Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota, and the Department of Agriculture has designated several counties in those areas as areas of natural disaster, and that paves the way for them to get some emergency loan assistance. About half of the U.S. spring wheat and 15% of corn and 14% of soybeans currently in drought. 
Weather factors uh, in the market today that they are considering include a highly variable rain pattern <clears throat> excuse me, over the western Midwest and a generally dry pattern over the central U.S. in the next 10 days. As the cold front moves into the south and east, cooler weather will follow. Near the front, thunderstorms should soak the Ohio Valley. Much of the western Midwest will see limited rain the rest of the week. Rains over the driest areas of Iowa were disappointing, while eastern Nebraska did better than expected. Cooler temperatures in Iowa will help to offset the effects of the drier weather. Most of the eastern Midwest seeing a beneficial pattern right now, but wet areas are still uh, affecting the crop development, especially the soybeans and possibly some corn. In the northern plains, the worst drought conditions possible or exceptional drought cover southwest North Dakota, and that's where spring wheat yield estimates are as much as 75% below a year ago. Internationally, Ukraine still suspect on their overall production due to a very drier pattern from spring through early summer. A hotter trend in eastern Ukraine through the end of the week may increase their crop stress. Well, we will look forward to anything that helps things out anyway uh, and uh, in whatever form that comes, except probably hail at this point. Exactly, and luckily we start to see less of a chance of that as the summer goes yeah. on here into August. And our ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Just got a w- word here from uh, southwest Nebraska looking at maybe Saturday night. They're anticipating perhaps some very heavy rainfall through that period that could actually lead to some flash flooding. But, of course, as it develops, we'll keep you updated with all of the latest here on 880-KRVN and your rural radio network stations. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Look at agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. The Nebraska Department of Agriculture has experienced an increase in herbicide misuse complaints alleging crop damage due to herbicide products containing dicamba. Susan Littlefield has more. The department's pesticide and fertilizer program staff are actively investigating those complaints for non-compliance from state and federal laws. Matt Haybrock is the Assistant Director of Agriculture. Yes, we have seen an increased number of inquiries about possible dicamba injury um, coming into the Department of Ag Office, and we're currently um, in the middle of those investigations. And our our hope is that through those investigations, we're going to be able to get some idea of what it's causing, um, some of the situation that we're seeing, and find ways that we can avoid that situation going forward. What is your timeline that you guys are looking at at this point? It's going to be a it's going to be a little bit of a process. There, these investigations are um, the quickest of investigations to do. So currently, we're out. Um, we're we're receiving the complaints and we're going out and trying to capture the physical evidence that we need in order to start that investigative process. Um, and then we'll um, start case by case going through and trying to pull the records and everything that we need to come up with this. So it will be a little bit of a, a slower turnaround, um, but we're hoping um, yet this fall we'll be able to have some ideas of what is what it was that happened this year and maybe some um, plans for how we can go forward next year and avoid the situation. Haybrock said that during the annual pesticide applicator training, they will continue to stress the safety. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Cattlemen Road Trip meetings are taking place this week across Nebraska. Joe Gangwish has an update from last night in Gothenburg. One of the topics this year is export verification requirements for sending beef to China. Jesse Herman is Director of Legal and Regulatory Affairs for Nebraska Cattlemen. 
Yeah, so we're telling folks what they need to know in order to access that market if it's something that they want to do. Uh, basically, cattle have to be less than 30 months of age. You have to meet an, basically an agent source program verification under uh, USDA. Uh, you got to have a program compliant ear tag, so an EID, an RF ID or a visual tag, and um, you also have to make sure that your cattle are free of any uh, residues of synthetic hormones that are pro- prohibited by Chinese law. We are telling folks that production practices do vary, so if you do want to access the market, always talk to your buyer. Herman says producers should expect this new relationship with China to take a while to develop. She says to expect good results, just not right away. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. The Nebraska Beef Council is offering up education to school lunch programs today. Shaylee Peters has more. Several cooks from school lunch programs are in Hastings today to learn more about the Beef in Schools program. Mitch Rippey, Director of Nutrition and Education with the Nebraska Beef Council, says they're where a lot of these programs get their start. These are the folks who are basically the front lines. They're the ones who are making sure that that beef uh, actually meets and hits the trays of the students. So we wanted to provide them an opportunity with this program to network with each other. We all know that uh, each school, whether it's a student body, the resources are all uniquely different. So we wanted to provide some insight where they can learn from one another. We also wanted to help them expand some of the beef menuing opportunities by giving them some new food service uh, recipes that they can maybe implement in their school right away. And then also we just wanted to go, kind of run through and discuss some best practices, utilize some new pieces of equipment that if they see any cost savings from this program, maybe they could invest that in some new pieces of equipment to enhance efficiency uh, in their kitchens on a day-to-day basis. Cooks are learning about different cuts of beef, recipes, and how they might be able to utilize this program in their own school. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Agriculture information can be found anytime by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Welcome back to the program. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And with us, Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. Dean, your take on the markets today. We are higher like we were yesterday. Uh, but before that, we'd probably been reaching the bottom as far as this range that the corn and soybeans have been trading in, haven't we? Yeah, range is the best word uh, you could come up with because if you look back over the last several months of this market, take a December corn chart, we've been stuck, uh, you know, right between um, really following the middle of our highs and lows of the contract. And uh, that's just got it pinned here and it's not enough news to bring the buyers in to keep pushing it to the top end, but you don't have willing sellers coming in saying they want to sell it now below these support areas. So this range-bound trade keeps uh, keeps the, the buyers stepping in here on breaks, and it keeps the sellers stepping up on rallies, and you've got a lot of old crop corn out here that's still looking for pricing opportunities. It's got the calendar that's weighing on it, and until you get you know that sustained hot, dry forecast. Now, there's plenty of areas of your listeners that have been dealing with hot, dry, but it's been contained mostly to the west. Uh, The market just hasn't been excitable enough to get up into those new highs. Look at this uh, graphic here. The 10-day moving average on corn, 377 and a quarter. 20-day, 381 and three quarters. 40-day, 381 and three quarters. Even the 200-day moving average, 379 and three quarters. There you have it. Just the what you got for September corn. Absolutely, yep. Certainly a sideways market. Now, what's what's interesting about these long, call it a, a f- three years of consolidation we've had, what's interesting is once you finally do break out of that, you've got a lot of energy that's built up. 
So people get kind of complacent and get lulled into these quiet markets and they're willing to step in front of it. But like what we saw in wheat, you know, eventually you get these these moves that have energy to take them further than what people thought could happen. And I'm not calling for that necessarily to happen the next couple of weeks, but the longer we go sideways, the more energy we build uh, to really get some direction out of here. We're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Kansas City Wheat approached a support level of 471. That was, I believe, the June 26th low. But today, we're coming off those lows. And is that probably being affected by spring wheat leading the way? Yeah, you know, spring wheat has not had the, while it has pulled back, it's mostly corrected in time and not price, whereas the, you know, pretty good (laughs) crops in uh, the winter wheat have brought a correction in price. So we've had a nice pullback here. I would expect both Chicago and Kansas City to find some support in this area, waiting for the next round of news. And, uh, you know, some of that is looking at some of the areas around the world, uh, whereas spring wheat, we've got the quality tour going on right now, some lower yields as expected. But what's not quite uh, certain yet is how much abandonment are we going to have that's really going to affect the supply. And so it's possible that spring wheat's real rationing is yet in front of it. If we look at uh, the overall picture, those crop scouts are going to have a tough time evaluating the spring wheat crop, given the abandoned acres, won't they? Yeah, certainly when it's when it's that spotty and that up and down and that devastated in a lot of areas, it's hard to know what you're going to be able to uh, harvest and what's just not going to be able to pay for the diesel to go across the field on. Thanks, Dean, for the comments. Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. Go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Dewey Nelson reporting. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check the sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, one of the most prolific passers in Husker history and one of the most disruptive defenders in the dominant black shirt defenses of the 90s lead the 2017 Nebraska Football Hall of Fame class. Those being inducted this fall include Zach Taylor, who was a Husker co-captain and the 2006 Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Also going in is Chad Kelsey. He was a Husker co-captain as a senior rush in for the Blackshirts in 1998. He helped the Huskers to a pair of conference and national titles. Joining Kelsey and Taylor in the group of four Husker Hall of Famers are offensive linemen Donnie McGee and Randy Thies. Wayne State All-American Brad Otis will also be inducted. He led Wayne State to a 9-1 record in 1993 before being chosen in the second round of the 1994 NFL Draft. He went on to play 81 games in his NFL career. This year's Nebraska Football Hall of Fame class will celebrate together with his induction dinner at the University of Nebraska on Friday, September 15th. That class will be introduced prior to Nebraska's football game with Northern Illinois on Saturday, September 16th. Well, a lot of the preseason talk this offseason surrounding the Nebraska defense has centered around the new 3-4 defensive scheme with new defensive coordinator Bob Diaco. Senior linebacker Chris Weber likes the possibilities this defense presents. Just, uh, the versatility of it, of, of what we can do in it. Um, you know, we can disguise where we're bringing a fourth rusher a lot of times. And then as linebackers, the, the ability to get downhill to be run stoppers. Um, and I think we'll have a great opportunity to make some plays. Last year, the senior from Elkhorn was a top backup behind senior Josh Banderas at middle linebacker and played in all 13 games. As a sophomore, Weber played in 10 games with four starts for the Huskers as they fought through several injuries. And the new flavor of the week at this year's Big Ten Football Media Days was Minnesota head coach P.J. Flett. 
He's looking to energize a program that had to deal with the fallout of an investigation into 10 players involving sexual misconduct. The school fired head coach Tracy Clays after he sided with the players when they threatened to boycott the bowl game in December. Fleck was a hot commodity after turning Western Michigan around, and he hopes to take the Gophers to the next level. It's a wonderful challenge here at the University of Minnesota. It's one that we look forward to attacking as we continue to go forward. We're not shying away from what we haven't necessarily accomplished in terms of the championship feel of 50 years without a championship. But we want to be that bridge. We want to be that bridge that connects uh, the past with the present and also uh, the future moving forward. As Coach Fleck alluded to, Minnesota hasn't won a Big Ten title or appeared in the Rose Bowl since the 1960s. The cupboard, however, is far from empty for Fleck because the Gophers won nine games last season. That was its highest win total in 14 years. That's a look at sports. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny today with a high near 83 northeast winds at 5 to 10 tonight. Patchy fog after 4 a.m. Otherwise partly cloudy with a low of around 58. For Friday, patchy fog before 9 a.m. Otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 85 southeast winds at 5 to 10. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The National Pork Producers Council had representatives in Washington, D.C. last week to talk about electronic logging devices. KRVN correspondent Shaley Peters has more. A December deadline is looming for livestock haulers that will require all commercial vehicle operators to track their hours of service with electronic logging devices, a mandate the National Pork Producers Council is hoping to push back. MPPC Assistant Vice President and Council on Domestic Policy Michael Formica says they're hoping current legislation will help. That's where Congressman Babbage's bill comes in. It actually says that the the mandate won't be enforced, won't be effective for two years, and pushes the implementation date back from December 18th of 2017 all the way till December 18th of 2019. And what we hope it accomplishes, whether it's you know Congressman Babbins or, or some other vehicle, is that it gives us two years to fix some of the underlying problems with the hours of service rule. Get the full scoop on MPPC's trip to D.C. and what else is happening with ELDs by visiting RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Another trial date has been scheduled for a 24-year-old Nebraska panhandle man charged with the crash death of a passenger in his pickup truck. Joshua Bolzer's new trial starting date is September 4th. It's the fourth since being charged with vehicular homicide, driving under the influence, and willful reckless driving. Authorities say Bolzer of Mitchell was speeding in his pickup truck on August 20th last year when it went out of control on U.S. Highway 26 on the west edge of Mitchell and hit a utility pole, a tractor, and a liquor store. A passenger in the truck, 19-year-old Darian Banteker, was pronounced dead at the scene. Two other 19-year-old passengers were taken to a Scotts Bluff hospital. Kansas Governor Sam Brownback is looking to take an ambassadorship in President Donald Trump's administration. The White House announced Wednesday that Trump will nominate the Republican governor to serve as ambassador-at-large for international religious freedom. The chairman of Kansas Republican Party says Brownback will be remembered as a governor who advanced conservative goals. The Senate Democratic leader says Brownback's legacy will be the budget problems caused by income tax cuts. Jeff Collier is preparing to become Kansas governor after nearly a decade of helping fellow conservative Republicans shape health care policy. He has been lieutenant governor for GOP Governor Sam Brownback since 2011. He is also a plastic surgeon who squeezed in international medical relief. 
In severe storm season, remember the weather watch never sleeps. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. As the August work session gets closer for those in Washington, D.C., schedules are filling up. That includes Congressman Adrian Smith. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The congressman is set to hold three farm bill field hearings in early August. Right. Uh, this is a continuation of the farm bill listening series uh, uh, that, uh, that we've had. I already have had uh, a couple, and we're going to uh, continue that with uh, Broken Bow, uh, Beatrice, and South Sioux City. So uh, I really uh, appreciate these opportunities to hear directly from producers uh, as well as consumers, uh, and I, I think it's, it's time well spent. Well, I know that there has been a lot of topics uh, of discussion, and one of them seems to come to the forefront every time has been the discussion of crop insurance. And I'm sure, especially with the way Mother Nature has been unkind to so many growers, especially in your area as well that you cover, uh, going to hear some thoughts um, of crop insurance, and I'm sure amongst health insurance as well from these folks. Right. Well, crop insurance is probably the most uh, common or frequent topic uh, that is raised at uh, these sessions when I hear from producers. Uh, we know that crop insurance, I think, has been serving the general public quite well, and, and that's a, and I mean the general public more than just producers. I think it has uh, served taxpayers well. We know that the current uh, structure uh, of crop insurance allows us to uh, avoid uh, making political decisions on ad hoc disaster payments. And I think that uh, we can we can utilize our resources much better under the crop insurance method than you know calling for various votes uh, in an ad hoc way uh, when disasters occur. That you know, crop insurance automatically fixes uh, stands in the gap uh, for a lot of that. Uh, you know I'm not going to say it's perfect, uh, but it gets pretty good reviews from from producers. And when you look at what taxpayers get uh, for it as well, I, I think we're we're on some pretty solid footing. And folks need to understand, too, I mean, those in ag get it, but I think outside of agriculture, what happens on, on, in rural America on these farms has such a trickle-down effect, um, not only to those small communities, but to the bigger communities, Omaha, Lincoln, Scotts Bluff as well, because there's less money to be able to spend in those communities. Right. The ag economy in general has, has an impact on our overall economy, especially in, in Nebraska. But I think we, we should also look at what policies do, what ag policies do uh, for consumers. And, you know, all, all too often uh, folks across America think their groceries just come from the grocery store. And we, we know that there's far more to it uh, than, than just what might uh, take place at the grocery store. So we are constantly having to fight off uh, unnecessary regulations. Uh, we, we see various uh, political strategies to try to undermine uh, livestock production. For example, uh, animal rights activists love to put the livestock uh, industry out of business. And uh, they, they are attacking animal agriculture on, on several fronts. And so that, that's just one example, though, of where uh, we have to uh, fight back. And I think we've been uh, more effective at, at doing that uh, of late, uh, but certainly can't take anything for granted. What about your thoughts on trade? Right. Trade is very important, especially when 96% of the world's customers live outside our country. We know that everyone needs to eat. And when we are so good at, at and efficient at producing food, 
uh, here in the U.S., uh, we want the opportunity to sell our products around the world. A lot of countries, a lot of countries have have constructed barriers uh, to trade to try to protect maybe their own production. Uh, so uh, that's why we need to pursue various trade policies that that iron out uh, a lot of these controversies, reduce those barriers. Sometimes those barriers are tariffs. Uh, sometimes uh, they're considered non-tariff trade barriers. Uh, for example, unnecessary regulations that are not based on science. Uh, we we see uh, we see a lot of that around the world. So we need to uh, pursue trade policies that, that prevent those those games, those political games, from being played. Uh, because a, a lot of our economy uh, is at stake with that, especially in, in rural America with agriculture. Are we going to get left in the dust? I mean, NAFTA talks are coming up August 16th, and there's a lot of pressure coming from both Canada and Mexico to get something done. Well, the, the more time that passes before we can get, uh, for example, NAFTA ironed out or, or other, uh, other trade opportunities, I know I've introduced a, a resolution calling, up, uh, calling on the administration to undertake a trade agreement with Japan. Japan, uh, they they eat a lot of meat. Uh, that that's the that's the good part, but they have a forty some percent tariff on U.S. Uh, beef, for example. Now Australia has already negotiated a much lower tariff through a trade agreement with Japan, and here uh, Australia is a is a very uh, competitive country when it comes to beef production. Of course, we know our our beef tastes a lot better uh, than than theirs, but. Affordability uh, at the at the meat counter in Japan is is an issue, and we are at a competitive disadvantage. That's why we need to pursue better trade policies, uh, so that other countries uh, will reduce those those barriers and ultimately make uh, our products more affordable in their country. My conversation with Congressman Adrian Smith. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Now we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about the livestock futures. And today was another day late buying in the feeder cattle market. So let's visit with you about the cattle first. Yeah, the uh, you're right. Uh, late buying. Uh, I mean, we wandered all day long, uh, basically, back and forth across unchanged. And uh, then we get a late uh, buying spree. I think uh, we just ran, uh, we exhausted some of the selling that uh, has been present since the uh, cattle on feed report. And that bounce uh, came uh, like yesterday late, but uh, triple digit gains, as you mentioned, in uh, in the feeder cattle. And uh, at the worst, uh, unchanged in the uh, in the uh, live cattle. Can't really point to anything uh, fundamentally changing. Uh, the cutouts at noon were a little bit lower, and the other thing that uh, is going to be uh, how we close uh, tomorrow and what kind of a week we have uh, in trading cattle uh, uh, live. So, uh, because we haven't uh, been able to close the gap that we left uh, Monday uh, from on the results of the uh, cattle on feed report on Friday. So, uh, interesting day, but uh, at least a positive day in the uh, in the cattle. Over in the hogs, a mixed day, uh, uh, very quiet, uh, very quiet, uh, just back and forth. We closed mixed, uh, not much on either side of unchanged. The uh, nearby uh, a little bit higher, the back end a little bit lower. Uh, cash seems to be uh, soft. Uh, and the cutouts were sharply lower at noon, uh, which would uh, thwart any uh, major rally at this point. 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call them at 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. What will agriculture trade policy look like under President Trump? Well, the president has made it known that he has concerns about current trade deals such as NAFTA. That has concerned some in the ag industry. I asked Zippy Duval, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, about that. Well, you know, we're, we're concerned too, you know, but we uh, have a good relationship with Secretary Purdue and Ray Starlin, who works as assistant as to the president in trade and food. Uh, we're getting to know our new trade ministers uh, uh, at the USTR. You know, the people that we know and have a good working relationship, we have a lot of confidence in it. And just for an example, I know for a fact that uh, Secretary Purdue had a, played a major role in calming everybody down, calming the water down about NAFTA and redirect us from pulling out to renegotiating and not, and trying to do uh, no harm on what we've gained in the last few years in NAFTA. So, you know, when that happened, it made me realize that we had a president that had a cabinet that he was willing to listen to and take advice from, and I got great confidence in uh, uh, Secretary Purdue uh, and Ray Starlin in directing the president in the right direction. So, tough talk. Uh, we're Americans. We like to be uh, the leader of the world. We want our government to stand up tall and straight and be tough, but we also want to make sure that we don't cause any collateral damage to agricultural commodities while we're doing that. And that's the, that's the message we keep telling them. There is a line that, that if they go to it, uh, that those countries will go somewhere else and look for their corn and their rice and their soybeans. We as uh, farmers and ranchers in rural America can't afford that. And this president understands what rural America meant to him in their election. So nervous concerned, but have a lot of confidence in the people that's working with him. There has been some good news on the trade front. Uh, the China situation, for example, with beef, where we've already reported, uh, exported a little bit of beef into China, and that's going to be a long-term agreement. Now, that's positive news. It is positive news, and I think that comes from uh, the early meeting that the president had with the leader of China. And when I was in the room with the president and, the, and at the roundtable discussion with the farmers, he looked to the secretary and says, you know, send me a letter about the, the beef trade in China and let me put a handwritten note on it to my new best friend over at China. And, and, you know, it was just weeks later before we started here in the announcement there'd be some beef going in there. So we're real excited about that opportunity. Uh, if you look at uh, all the mouths and overseas in the Asian area of the world and the growing population of the middle class, you know, the opportunities are just really uh, 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 big for us. And I think uh, this president and this secretary will want to be able to to uh, get us in on some of that. So I, I, I'm, I'm confident. Uh, short term, a little nervous. Could be collateral damage. Long term, I think we're going to be good. The other thing that continues, Zippy, is that the states are doing their own trade missions. Uh, Iowa is leading one to China right now. Nebraska has done that. In fact, the first uh, shipment of beef went out of a Nebraska plant. So uh, the states and the commodity groups are doing some of their own work, and that's going to help. Sure it is. When they're going over there and they're telling these uh, people in uh, uh, China, whether it be people in their government or whether it be uh, organizations that are similar to ours, uh, they're going over there telling them we want to be a partner with them. Uh, we want to work with them. And, and I think any goodwill trade mission like that is going to be very supportive of what the president has in, uh, inside of doing for us. 
So there are some positive signs for trade when it comes to agricultural commodities. That's Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Can we say this was a cautious day today of trading? Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of, I think nervous shorts probably more than anything. I, I really thought the market was going to at least test that 10-15 level on soybeans, maybe get above the 9 uh, or 390 level in corn, but just never really could get any traction. Um, it's almost like we're, we're just continuing to wait now for Monday and see where the crop conditions are. And I think it'll be like this for the next two weeks. I think two weeks from today, I might be wrong on that date. I'll have to confirm is the, is the next WASDE report. And that's when we'll get these first yield outlooks. And that, that's going to be a big deal. Um, you know, the funds have kind of evened themselves out here over the last two weeks. They've taken a lot of positions off the long side. Um, it, they can go either way. If we want to go short, there's room for them to put the short positions heavy back on like they did back in, uh, you know, the, the early, later part of spring. Uh, or, you know, if they want to get long like they did in midsummer, uh, there, there's room for that. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on what these forecasts come out with in the next two weeks. Uh, right now, I'd say they're friendly for the bulls, uh, given, uh, given the lack of moisture. You know, nothing has really changed. We've gotten some rains, but, uh, you know, nothing that's really busted the drought in western Iowa, south, southwestern Iowa, and, you know, yeah, even out your way, in the northeastern part of your listening area, I imagine it's very dry. So shorter term here, I look for more sideways in the next couple of weeks, uh, but be ready. It, it could really come quickly. So uh, have a plan in place. If it breaks lower, what are you going to do? If it breaks higher, what are you going to do? Private estimates will emerge in the next week. Results of smaller private crop tours, and I would guess they're going to find a tremendous amount of inconsistency in the condition of corn and soybeans from region to region. Absolutely, and I think field to field. I mean, especially these ways. It, the Illinois, I, I've had a lot of guys say it just baffles them how the USDA could read it the way they are. They had corn go up one percentage point and beans go down eight percentage points. Not quite sure how that worked, but uh, apparently, you know, the, the the difference in crops are, are, are we're seeing at different uh, conditions, which is baffling. But uh, I think you make the case either way at this point. E- this way, in the in the eastern part of the belt, we've gotten so much rain, it's hard to think that we're not going to have some bumper crop areas. But you had that early planting problem, and I think Indiana's still having problems getting over that hump. You go out your way in the western part of the belt, you've gotten these rains that have hit a lot of the areas that needed it, but not everybody got it, and some of them only got a tenth of an inch or two, two or three-tenths of an inch. So, um, again, I think the USDA surveys are going to be very important over the next two weeks, and, of course, that WASDE. I think that will give us the direction as we get into the fall. It's a bumpy ride. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. As we said, he's publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Find out more? Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.